Today, we're going to look at manhood because if we want to understand who a father is, I said we're going to talk about manhood. And so today, we're going to read in the book of Acts, chapter 13, 22 to 23. It says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said. Now, I just want to say... If God was going to say something about me as a man, if God, my creator, the one who's given me life, is going to say something about me at the end of my days, I think this is something that I would want to be said. God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. What a legacy David left. That the person that we talk about, the person that we say is the church, that we curate environments for people to have encounters with Jesus, that that historical figure, that hero of faith, that Savior is part of David's legacy. See, we're, we're, we're living in a day and an age that what I would say to you is that we're constructing our meaning and our significance, that our meaning and our significance, really it's our identity. We're constructing this with zero regard to God. Society right now is pressed to construct their meaning and significance with zero regard to God. We're all being taught socially to live without regard to God and it's causing devastating effects in our role as men in society. Men, I want you to know this. The pressures that you and I are feeling, the tensions that we feel at times, we're being quietly discipled to have total disregard for the God who created us. And it's having devastating effects. Last week, we looked at the effects of men in homes, the lack of men in homes as fathers, and what it's having in every aspect of culture. It's not just impacting the individual home. It's impacting the totality of our society. And we're going to look for godly insight, for clarity uh, to our role as men. And we're going to look at King Saul and King David, which is this amazing a perfect juxtaposition between a life of meaning and significance without regard to God and a life of meaning and significance with complete regard to God. Saul disregarded and David regarded. And it says, as a man after God's own heart is what God says about David. As a man after God's own heart, David gives us some great godly insight to the identity of biblical manhood as two things. Men, we're created to be worshipers, and we're created to be warriors. And that is who we are. That is what society is longing for us men to walk wholeheartedly into. That is what we are feeling the tension and the separation at times in our own lives where we feel like we're not adding up. Let me define for you first what 
a worshiper is. A worshiper is a man who operates under the authority of God as a carrier of his presence while giving all worth, attention, and affection to God as the sole source of power and provision in his life. What is a warrior? A warrior is a man who operates out of being a worshiper to bring his best in the territories God has placed him in to defeat the attacks of the enemy and expand God's kingdom. When our meaning and significance, when our identity is found in regard to God, we are living as worshipers. And today we're going to discover godly insight to our identity as men. First, as a worshiper, we're going to talk about the power of a worshiper. And, and worshipers relate, they reproduce, and they return. Let's pray. Father, this morning we lay down our view and we ask that you give us your view. We lay down how I see things. The reality of the situation is like what I like to say, Lord. <laughs> I lay down the reality that I see and I ask for your reality. I ask for open hearts, open ears, and a willingness, a willingness to have complete regard for who you are this morning, God. We thank you in Jesus' powerful name. Everyone said amen, amen. Can everyone give the worship team a huge round of applause this morning for their job? Number one, let's talk about how worshipers relate. I love in 1 Samuel 16, 13, it says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil that he had brought, and he anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. This is what I would want us to know this morning, a bit of backstory, is David and Saul were both anointed by God to be kings. I, I, that David and Saul were bo both anointed by God and they both related to God. When you read the story, if you get into 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, they both related to God. They were both anointed by God. They both related to God, but with opposing motives of the heart. Saul was a consumer of what God could do and David was consumed by what God was doing. Let me say this again. Saul was a consumer of what God could do in his life, and David was consumed by what, was God, what God was doing in his life. Different motives, different heart. Saul served to get life from God. David served to give his life to God. Ambition was Saul's heart. Affection was David's heart. David was after God's own heart. Saul was after his own heart. We were created to be consumed. Now I'm speaking to men, but also women. I want you to know something, that your man, 
the man that you want, the man that you're praying for, the man that you, maybe you look at a husband or a boyfriend or a fiance and you see and what you long to see from that man, it's that they're, they're probably not walking fully into this. They're not fully consumed. I would tell you, I, I, I would suggest that what the world is waiting for is men who are like David, fully consumed by what God is doing, rather than men who sit back and say, what can the world do for me? And men, we were created to be consumed and after God's own heart. But as I mentioned, we're being discipled today by the world to be men after our own hearts. We're being told that we should be self-made. This whole thing, like, right? Self-made. Self-made man. I'm a self-made man. <laughs> self-made. Like, we can go work out at gym. Self-made. Right? It's all about you. You make yourself. Saul was a self-made man. David was a sold-out man. But this is what I know about being self-made, and this is my own experience in life. Being self-made, maybe in all of my success, I'm still not living wholeheartedly. Maybe in all of my striving, I'm still not wholehearted. There's something missing. Saul had a self-made motive, and with all of his kingliness, okay, when you read the story of Saul and all his kingliness as a self-made man, he was going crazy, literally tormented, going crazy, because he didn't relate to God as his sole source. Last week, I, I mentioned that suicide is four times more likely it's higher in men. We're, we're successful on the surface, but we're just not sane. We're successful, but we're struggling. Here's some facts. As the second leading cause of death, as the second leading cause of death in people aged... 10 to 34, young men, 10 to 34, second leading cause of death, suicide. It's the fifth in men aged 35 to 54. It's contributing to premature mortality. It's dragging down the life expectancy of men. We're more self-made than ever, but we're not able to actually sustain that. Man, this is what I know. When I talk one-on-one -on -one with you, uh, I I'm going to own this in my own life, okay? When I have conversations with you one-on-one, -on -one, what, what we often relate to is that uh, over 6 million men suffer from depression per year. But male depression often goes underdiagnosed. Do you know why? Because last week I mentioned that men tend to not see 
medical professionals, preventive care. Why? Because we're self-made. There's something that the, we're being discipled to do it on our own. Be self-made. You're feeling depressed? That's weakness. It's this fight internally that we don't have what it takes. Men are dying. We're literally being crushed under the pressure of feeling like we don't have what it takes. But oftentimes it's, it's in one-on-one conversations that I'm having with men. In fact, when you get down to it, then, then we talk about stress that we're feeling as men. Saul, the stress he felt trying to uphold his kingdom rather than seeing his kingdom as God's kingdom and him being anointed to partner with God in what he was doing. So many times in my life I try to uphold my own kingdom. And you, you know what the number one stress trigger is for men? Can anyone guess? Number one stress trigger. Money. Listen, it's so overtly known, I didn't have to tell you. You already knew money was the number one stress trigger for men. Like, what? That's, and, and a lot of times it's why we feel depressed because we feel like we're not able to be the provision that our fathers could be if you had a father. In fact, men are leaving the workforce faster than any time period in history. Because they're, they're, they're cracking. Men, we're cracking under the weight of having to provide with everything going on in the world. This, these are just the facts. But I want to present to you that it's nothing new that Saul was cracking under the same pressure. But the problem was he wasn't consumed by God. The problem was he didn't relate to God. He had no regard for God. We can only thrive, men, women, your man, your future man, your sons, mamas, can only thrive in the tension of their lives. If they're living, men, if we are living consumed in relationship to God and with God. It's the only way that it's going to happen. This is what I would say to you, men. We have been anointed just like David and Saul, dare I say, kings in his kingdom, heirs. And if my, if my father in heaven is a king and I'm a prince, that means that when he puts me in a territory, he's making me a prince to his kingdom and a king in the territory. Men, you have been anointed in a territory. You are heirs in a kingdom. You have what it takes because your papa, your dad, your father, whatever you want to call him, he has what it takes. And we're made to be consumed by God's presence. How do you relate to God this morning? Men, how do you relate to God? Women, how are you praying for your man, your son? Your daughter's future man. God, I just want, I want my seven, I just want men that can relate to God. They, ha, they have a regard for God. Amen? Are we, listen, are we doing okay this morning? All right. Worshippers reproduce. 1 Samuel 16, 23. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. 
I want to stop there for a second and, and just maybe suggest to men, men, I'm just talking to you right now. I'm going to suggest to you that the unlikely hero in the story of David and Goliath was a dude who hung out with his father's sheep and played a harp. Men, we disconnect sometimes in worship because it's too fluffy, it's too flowery. We consider it too feminine. Can I just, can I just be real? We're like, we're just sitting there and we're like, dude, Jesus is the center. We're like, okay. Can, I, can we shoot something? I don't, I, I don't, honestly, I'm just being real. But look at David. He was the most... Homie was a harp player. When I need defended, when the apocalypse, zombie apocalypse, I, I am not go, I'm not going to say, who plays harp? I want a harp player. Can I just be real? The U.S. Marine Corps is not teaching Sebastian how to play a harp. Amen? But there's something behind this because David was a worshiper. So when the king who is self-made is being tormented, they call in the worshiper who relieves the torment. He reproduces an environment with total regard for God and an environment with total disregard for God. And who wins? The total regard for God wins. The tormenting spirit leaves. Also, I love Samuel uh, 6, 17. This is 2 Samuel. This is when David, there's this famous story. Uh, David, uh, he realizes Saul loses the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> David brings it back to the nation. And it says that they brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside a special tent David had prepared for it. David just wasn't like, ah, what about the presence of God? He prepared a special place for it, a tent. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, men, there are sacrifices that God wants for us to bring as worshipers in his presence. When David had finished his sacrifices, mamas, wives, you're going to see your man sometimes do some things that seem sacrificial and you're going to think are crazy. Don't get in their way. Let your sons, let your men bring the sacrifices they were made to bring. I'm going to explain. When he had finished the sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord, heaven's armies. As a worshiper, this is what I love about David. He soaked, he soaked in God's presence in his father's field while he watched the sheep and played the harp. Okay? That's where he actually had the confidence to defeat Goliath. So he soaked in God's presence in the father's field. He soaked Saul's kingly court in God's presence. And now he's soaking the nation of Israel in God's presence. You know, in, in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, where it says, be fruitful. God created male and female. Be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. 
Did you know be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern? It's also a mandate for us as worshipers to reproduce environments of worship. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply God's kingdom. Multiply what happens in his presence. It's give total regard to God and our worth, attention, and affection. David restored God's presence and worship was prioritized. That's what he did in the nation of Israel. That's what Saul wasn't doing. That's what David did do. He restored God's presence and worship was prioritized. Saul lost God's presence. David restored it. Listen, men, sometimes we have this opportunity in the middle of crazy circumstance. We feel like everything's falling apart. God's saying to us, would you reproduce environments of worship from being a worshiper? Would you, when you do that, you're going to restore some things that God has. One of the biggest things we can do in our cities, in our homes, in our country is, is men, we can be reproducers of worship as worshipers. And we can restore things that have been destroyed because the people that have gone before us. This is not a blame. Like David didn't blame Saul. He just was after God's presence. This is what this means practically. Uh, worship and prayer occurred in David's tent, this tent that he created, 24-7 for 30 plus years. Think about this. Think about right now in the city of San Marcos, if we just established, we said, you know what, there's going to be worship that's going to happen in this place 24-7. And, and, uh, and, and you said, Pat, how long are you going to do this? I, I don't know, 30 plus years. What would occur? This is what occurred for David. That under David, under this idea of reproducing worship, soaking the nation of Israel in worship, God's presence became the center of Israel. How did it become the center it actually instructed all of their art, economics. It instructed their family, their religion. It literally, David, when you read the book of Psalms, this is David sending songs to the worship leaders in the tents, and they would decide who to go to war with and how to go to war based on the worship that was happening in the tents called the Tent of David. Imagine in America if we just had a city and we had a nation that was submitted and surrendered to reproducing worship in our nation, soaking our worship, soaking our nation in this. And we decided, oh, this is how we're going to go to war. Not because someone offended me, because God is instructing me, have mercy here. Think about this. Worshippers reproduce environments where God's presence is the center of everything and God's kingdom fills and multiplies. Now, I want, I want to talk about something. Uh, when we reproduce, reproducing environments of God's presence led to promotion for David rather than him performing for others. And this is important, men. I want you to know this is important because you're like, well, dude, I got work to do. I'm trying to get a promotion, and you're telling me to reproduce worship as a worshiper, Pat. And I'm telling you that your performance is not going to bring you promotion. It's God's presence that's going to bring you promotion. How do I know this? David proves it. Why? You reproduce who you are. David was presence-driven. Saul was performance-driven. And being performance-driven led to 
Saul's destruction. Men, we're, we're, I, I mentioned this. Like we're, we're feeling the pressure and the weight to perform more than ever in life. More than ever. David, it was really funny, you know. Uh, let, let me define these. Presence-driven. Work from God's affirmation. Presence-driven. To work from God's affirmation by giving him all worth, affection, and attention. Performance-driven. Work for affirmation by getting all worth, attention, and affection. One works from to give, one works for to get. Promotion comes from God's presence in our lives rather than performance to please others. And after David brings the presence of God back into Israel, he's dancing down the street. This is, this is a story. If you know anything about the Bible, if you don't know, I'm going to tell you a really funny story. This guy, he's a king. Uh, and Kings are supposed to be very royal and regal. And this guy brings the presence of God back into the nation of Israel. He decides to dance down the street while he's doing it, basically in his underwear. All right? His wife, Michael, who was Saul's daughter, is watching him from a window. This is what happens. David retorted to Michael because she, she like lit him up. Hey, that sacrifice you brought dancing in your underwear before for God, that was lame, bro. This is why I'm saying wives and mamas, pray that your man is consumed and in God's presence. And when God tells him to bring a sacrifice, it may look ridiculous to you, mama, wife. Let your man dance. Let your man bring. If it's in his underwear, okay, it's, listen how absurd it sounds. We're dealing with much bigger absurdities in culture right now, so this is less absurd. So David retort, he says to her, because she's like, bro, what are you doing? You look like an idiot. This is, what, this is what he says. He retorts to her. I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all of his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. Men, can, can you like, can, can you imagine for one second, you're like, God, you know what? I'm sorry, devil. God has appointed and anointed me as the king in this, as the leader in this territory. So, whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> he goes, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls, because she's like, the servants think you're an idiot. He goes, but those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her life. Bro, this is what I want to tell you. Saul's world and legacy was barren because he didn't know how to reproduce environments of worship. Man, the biggest thing we want is we want to see our future's future future. We want to see that legacy wealth in what's going on. You want to see grandbabies that don't know your name walking in the things that you defeated so they could walk in that freedom. Men, do I have you? Men, are you with me in this? Well, we don't want to follow suit with what Saul did because he ended up with a barren legacy.
We're able to perform with deeper meaning and greater significance as men by reproducing environments of worship, period. At the cost of humiliation. At the cost of humiliation, men. Because the self-made people are going to be like, what are you doing? And this is what you're going to say. When I feel pressure, men, I'm with you in this. I feel the pressure. And this is what we say. When I feel pressure, I'm going to be sure to press. When I feel pressure, I'm going to be sure to press into God's presence. When I feel the pressure, it's a reminder that I need to be sure to press. And that is when I will feel and experience meaning and significance like never before. But I would suggest to you also that we're not perfect and neither was David. A man after God's own heart made massive mistakes. I'm queued up to be a David then. And when that happens, worshipers return. In Psalms 105.4, it says, seek the Lord and his strength. By the way, this is David writing this in the midst of his turmoil and tension and a life of hiding in caves and being chased and like, God, what are you doing? Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. David encourages us to return to God by seeking his presence continually, by remembering a couple of key truths. We're going to seek God's presence continually, men, by remembering. How are we going to seek God's presence? He says, by remembering. What do we need to remember? I think one of the biggest things that I would, this is my own life, is that when I make mistakes, when I've lost heart, I don't feel wholehearted. When I've lost heart, for some reason it gets exponentially more difficult to return. It's easy to celebrate on the mountaintop, and it's hard when we're, when we're feeling it. And maybe, maybe we feel like we're buckling. It's hard to return, but it's when we've lost heart, when we've made mistakes. This is when it's the most important. David was the king of Israel, but I would also say that he was the king of making mistakes. He would return to the presence of God and he would surrender him by seeking for him. That's what we're reading in the book of Psalms. So we're going to seek him, continue by remembering. Number one, we're going to remember all the wondrous things, all the wondrous works that he has done for you. 
Men, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say to you, and a- a- anybody can utilize what I'm about to say, but men, I'm gonna say to you, remember all the things that God has done. Maybe it's, you may not even have a relationship with God, but if you look at all of the things in your life that you think, wow, that was, a, that was an amazing moment. That was a wondrous miracle from God. For me, it was moments that I spent with my earthly father that I remember that were amazing. It was, it was times that I got with my wife before we were married. It was the birth of my children. Seeing the reproduction, because we're reproducers. That even in the midst of the most difficult times, there's things that I can remember where I go, God, you showed yourself. You just find the goodness in the grief. And, and th- there's this miraculous wonder that we get to see. And, and, and David is saying, I want you to remember these things, men. Why? Because at times we're so disheartened. Men, we're, we're under so much weight. It's like we can't breathe. And David is saying, men, I know you. You don't think you have what it takes. It's the biggest struggle that men have. He's saying, I want you to remember. I want you to remember who it is that has your back. So number one, we're going to remember. Number two, we're going to remember that we're part of a chosen people and we're not alone. We're part of a chosen people. We're not alone. It says, offspring of Abraham kids of Jacob, chosen ones. These are all a reminder from David that God returns us to a family when we surrender our lives to him. It's God, I need your presence now more than ever. This this idea of being a worshiper is like, God, I need your presence more now than I've ever needed it. I need the presence of family more than ever. And the other... The other layer to this, men, wives, mamas, your, your husbands, your future husbands, your sons, they need God, the presence of God, they need the presence of family, but this is the other thing that I know that men need. We need the presence of one another. We need it. We were built for brotherhood. We were built to stand as worshipers shoulder to shoulder. David, in 1 Samuel 18, once said, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. Jonathan is Saul's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David. Because he loved him as he loved himself, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe. Remember, this kid is a prince. He takes off his robe, giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Every man needs a Jonathan to remind them of the anointing men that you carry. I want to remind you today that maybe today is the only moment you're going to get a Jonathan moment. Maybe this week is the only time you're going to get a Jonathan moment. Brothers, you've been anointed by a king. 
I will lend you my bow. I will lend you my tunic. I will take the anointing that I carry and I will lend it to you today. Why? Because God knows that we need a Jonathan and we need to be a Jonathan to other men. We want to run to isolation, men. It's not the answer. Surrender happens best together because we're more courageous together. I've considered myself courageous at times in life. Something happens when I stand next to a brother, when I stand next to another man. It's like, dare I say, kind of a gang mentality. The enemy is ganging up on us as men. It's time for us to repay him in kind and stand shoulder to shoulder as a brother of believers. And there's power in numbers. There are power in numbers. Amen, Jess? There is power in numbers. We're in this together. Every one of us, shoulder to shoulder. Bringing our best. Worshippers willing to have total regard for God in our lives. Willing to relate. Willing to reproduce. Even look humiliated. And return when we're struggling. But there's no more excuses. We're in this together. We were created for this. Man, you were created for this. You were created to stand in the company of champions. You were created to stand shoulder to shoulder in the company of other champions. The enemy has been trying swiftly to take us out. And together, we're going to stand at each other's heads and we're not going to relent. We are better together. We are more courageous together. And the first thing we have to do is be consumed by his presence. Mamas, women, wife, ladies who long to have a man of God in their life, would you stand and extend your hand to these men? Dare I say, if you would like, come place your hand on these men. If you're in the room, if you're a guy in the room and you're like, man, I've never experienced this, I'm with you, neither have I. 
but I, 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 would, I would welcome any, any male into this. Something very practical. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go. Something very practical. On Monday, July 3rd, we're going to gather as men. We need, we need, you know, we're going to celebrate independence the next day, July 4th. But men, my word for you today is there's an independence that God wants to give us from the old way, from what we've been hearing and what we've been told, and God wants to give us an independence. And it would be my honor for you to join me on Monday night, July 3rd at 6.30. Bring another dude, because we're in this together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in your image you created both male and female. And thank you that in your image you created each one of these men. They're image bearers of who you are. There's no mistake. You've, you've put your hand on each one of them and anointed them. You've anointed each one of them and put your hand on them. And you have placed them in situations, in families, in homes, in businesses, in politics. You have placed them in places that I'm going to use this word. You have given them territories for them to be able to stand firm and be courageous and see an expansion of God's kingdom as they are consumed by you. So God, let us as men be courageous together to be worshipers who relate to you wholeheartedly, who reproduce and that return. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this group of men. Thank you for the fact that you speak to our hearts in a way that we get and we understand. Thank you for the women who are literally behind every single one of these men. Let's go. Men, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Even to the point of humiliation. We thank you. In Jesus' powerful name, everyone said, amen and amen and amen.